This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. So welcome everybody, welcome all our Torah Anytime uh, viewers. We're learning tonight the Fuash Lema to Miriam Chai Bad Bracha and for Leilun Yishmat Chana Bas Shlomo. Okay, so we're going to continue on our series of uh, Mashiach. And this in itself, this this current topic that we're going to be speaking about, this in itself is like a mini-series in the series in itself. So it's like in a dream in a dream. So, um, and that is the end of days. What's going to happen at the end of the days? Um, all the prophecies that, that, uh, that, you know, that the Gemara speaks about and the Zohar speaks about and the Psukim the, the and actual Torah speak about. There's many, there's so many sources for these things. So I want to do it in a little bit different because you'll go, you know, on Torah anytime, you go, you know, on YouTube, wherever it is that you're going to search for these type of topics. They're generally people cover them in one or two classes, sort of like zip through them. I want to do it a little bit different and going into, into, uh, actually, uh, a lot of details on these things and comparing it into now, day and age. And um, that's why the end of day's topic might be a few classes just in and in itself and see when we'll, we'll actually uh, get to it. So uh, we'll begin with um, the uh, the Gemara in Sanhedrin that says that, Ula says that Mashiach should come, but I should not see him. That's how scary um, that it's going to be in that time that even the big rabbi in the time of the Gemara said, I, read, I want him to come, but I don't want to see him. Um, so, so the, you know, and, and this was said also, like, you know, they asked, they asked a bit the big, you know, Chachamimu, they asked the big rabbi, like, why are you scared? It says, and this is a good thing to know, that if you want to be saved in the times of the end of times, end of times, by the way, just as we understand, um, there is, there's two ways for it to go. One, and it's a really horrific, terrible, terrible ways, which we'll soon see how, you know, the world is going to be. And the other way is obviously, a, you know, um, you know, an awesome way, and a nice way, and obviously it depends on us. So, but even if the world is going to go in a bad way, and it's going to go in all the 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 the, the worst of the worst prophecies are all going to be fulfilled in the, in the most terrible and gruesome way, there's still a way for you to be saved, and that is the secret of how do you be saved in the times of Mashiach. And the answer is there's two ingredients to be saved. One is Torah, learning Torah, and the other one is is good deeds, doing good deeds. So you have those two things that you get saved in the times of Mashiach. So the question that they asked this rabbi, like you're so scared of coming in, the, you're the, you know what it means to be a rabbi. If you're written in the Gemara, that means that you know you could bring back people from the dead. You could do like crazy miracles. You're not like some guy who just learns an hour a day. You're talking about people of the highest caliber in, in you know in Torah knowledge. So they're saying, what are you scared about? You have Torah, you have Gemilut Chasadim, you have the ingredients to be saved in the times of Mashiach. So why do do you say? That I yes, I wanted to come, but I don't want to be. I don't want to be present in that time. That I should not see him. So he answered that in the you know when when uh, when Hashem told Yaakov and he said uh, he promised him you know he he gave him a promise and he still was scared Yaakov and the obvious question the Mefalshim asks is why was he scared and the answer is he was scared because maybe his sins were not allow him to protect the promise that God gave him because maybe he sinned and now he doesn't have that protection. So this is first of all something that some people have to you know think about because when I said to Al Gilud Chasidim I guarantee you ninety people. That whether they're here, whether on the, over the, it, you know, listening to it, they're like, okay, I'm good. I got this. Don't worry about it. I got to learn like, you know, five minutes a week, you know, at least. And then the Gemilu Chasadim, I just, you know, gave a dollar to charity. I'm, I'm definitely saved. So, um, the, the reason is, is that, that, you know, don't, don't, let's hope so. I definitely want you to be saved. You know, I definitely want everybody to be saved. Uh, I definitely want to be saved. Let's put it that way. But at the same time, don't, you know, if the Chachamim in the time of the Gemara, they were nervous about this, so much more so that we should be nervous even if we're learning Torah, even if we're doing Gemara Chasadim, that means we just have to do it more and more and how much more we have to do and actually to be saved during the time. And by the way, I've had people that, you know, told me, I'll be like, alright, big deal. We'll die. Oh, we'll get resurrected. And it's like, you know, you don't want to miss the greatest event in history. 
the greatest ever, the whole purpose of the creation of the world is for the Mashiach. You're going to miss that all because, you know, whatever, you know, and, and as if like, oh, just, it's not like taking a nap and waking up all refreshed. I'm like, oh, resurrected. That's not, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, so, you know, death is a process that's painful. Even the right, most righteous have to go through a process that's, that's painful and that's for the sin of Adam Arishon and the Nachash. So, the, um, you know, what, uh, you know, Rav also says in the, um, I'll try to bring all the sources, but generally, there's a lot of it in Sanhedrin. The Gemara in Sanhedrin. So if I don't, if I don't say actual, so there's also in Sota, in page 49 in Sota, in the two Gemara, but if I don't bring any sources, it's generally one of those, uh, two, unless I quote if it's a Zohar or something else. But, uh, Rav says that, uh, there's, before Mashiach comes, it will be an evil kingdom that will spread over Israel for nine months. Some of these things will, will go through details. Some of the, see, these things I'm just gonna explain as I, as I know it. Not because I cannot find it, you know, I could definitely, we could definitely interpret it in any which way that, you know, that we, des- you know, desire. I could just, you know, yeah, the, the Arabs are gonna rule over us, which actually says the Arabs will rule over us. But, um, but I, I usually like to bring in only the things that I saw written down. So, the, um, you know, the time when Mashiach is gonna come is a, is a highly guarded secret. No one knows when the Mashiach is gonna come. Um, I spoke to somebody yesterday, I gave a class yesterday, and they told me that they spoke to some guy who, um, ha- he has like crazy dreams. Like, not, which means it's like, I'm talking about like, he dreamt that in two months he's gonna get married. He wasn't dating anybody. And two months later he somehow got married, which is even quick. And he got married then two months later. So like this guy has like a track record apparently. And he told, he told them, he says Mashiach is coming in three months. And this I heard last night. So I'm like, I hope he comes tomorrow. Not that he comes in three months time. But uh, you know, the, this is the thing that we spoke about in the, in the first class. We're not supposed to put dates on it because we don't know. It's going to happen very soon. I can guarantee that. That from everything. And soon, by the time we finish these, this series, you'll be able to guarantee that by the information you're going to be like, you know, Everything is, is, is already met. It's like, it's literally at the footsteps. But, um, you know, we don't actually know the, 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 you know, the actual time of it, but we could tell the proximity of it by all the, all the sources that the Torah brings down and the Chazal and the Chachamim bring down on what will happen in those times. You could see like, okay, cause it's gonna, you'll literally, you'll hear me say like, in the times before Mashiach, it's, this is gonna happen. In the time before Mashiach, this is gonna happen. And you're like, check, check. Check, oh man, check. You know, it's like, you know, and you're like, you know, you ever had to grade your own test, you know, when you're in school, and you're like, you know, every time you check, like, am I gonna get a hundred? This is how it's gonna feel like. You'll be like, what, what, Mashiach is coming like tomorrow, not even today, because everything is like checking off. So, we're gonna go through, um, a little bit of a summary, um, on, on just like, not even on anything of everything I was gonna speak about, just a brief, uh, you know, idea on what's gonna be there, and then we'll go into more details on it. So, first of all, it says during the time of Sheikh there's going to be a lack of scholars. There's going to be a lack of of, of tamidei chachamim, and we'll soon explain that because if we look at nowadays, the yeshivot are are packed. The, the place of Hashem, the Torah, so we'll understand how what that means. Then there's going to be a succession of troubles, one time trouble after trouble after trouble after trouble. There's going to be famines. There's going to be poverty. There's going to be nations provoking and fighting each other. And, and, and it's, it's just going to be like from worse to worse. And it, it's really going to look as if God fell asleep. And that God, as it seems like falling asleep, is really the birth pangs of Mashiach. This is the, um, the, the coming of Mashiach. The Gemara in Sanhedrin, page 98a says, I'm going to quote it. When you see a generation that is dwindling, hope for him, hope for Mashiach. When you see a generation overwhelmed by many troubles as by a river, await for him. And when you see nations fighting each other, look towards the feet of Mashiach, which you could see as the, the, the vernacular went to, to like, you know, it's coming, it's coming, oh, it's really close, it's by the feet already, you see it already, it's better by the feet. Um, and, and we don't have to know that for the past quite a few years, uh, nations fighting each other, it's, you know, everybody's on their tippy toes, they're like fishing around, 
you know that uh, if you look if you look at the world history, what's going on in North Korea, what's going on in, in Syria, what's going on in ISIS, what's going on, you look at like everywhere and around the world, Russia and and Turkey, you go, like the whole world. It's something brewing. It's something brewing, and it's not going to be something delicious. I'll tell you that much. It's a, it's a, it's a scary thing that's coming. So, however, the the troubles and everything that happens before Mashiach, like we said, is not unavoidable. Unavoidable, and one of the reasons that we're going to go through and we're going to see all the bad things that's supposed to happen before Mashiach, we can learn on the opposite way on how to prevent ourselves from falling into those bad things and hopefully making it, uh, you know, avoiding those uh, tragedies in the way that the Mashiach is supposed to come in that way. By the way, it's not only bad signs. There's also good signs that Mashiach is going to come. Page 97a said there's going to be a good measure of prosperity. Which you, if you think about it, it looks like exactly contradicting. Because I said first poverty, and now I say prosperity. Uh, but if you look at the world, that is not a contradiction. You have a one, you know, you have one person who's a, not a, not a millionaire, a multi-billionaire. His next door neighbor is suffering to put food on the table. The person next to that, you know, just came from a 10 month vacation throughout the entire, you know, whatever, Europe. And the person, you know, after that, again, you know, in debt for like, you know, 150 grand. So you look, there's, there's, there's prosperity, and at the same time, there's poverty. And you think about it, you know, it makes absolutely no sense. And especially if you look at the world at large. Let's say you look at America. Boko Hashem America is, is doing relatively okay compared to the other nations of third world countries where they still don't have running water. They still have, you know, you see these, you know, African kids that the fly is like, you know, you know, landing on their eyeball. And it's like, you know, like blink, you know, just blink already. Why are you not blinking? And they're, they're, they're skinny and they're this and they're, you have, they have nothing. And, you know, you gotta be thankful for, for what we do have. Okay. Next, there's going to be another good signs of Mashiach. There's going to be a renewal of Torah study, which we see nowadays. Crazy amount, Baruch Hashem, crazy amount of Torah study. Go to Israel. There's Yeshiva in every corner. And but you're free. You don't have to go to Israel. Look over here. Every two, not even every block. There's like two shuls in every block. In this block alone, if you go in the circumference, who knows how many there are, right? And then we're not, even if you don't include the, the, the huge one over here, and then there's one literally across the street. There's like in every little corner, there's another, there's another, uh, Beth Knesset. And, uh, even in this Beth Knesset, there's two Beth Knesset. <laughs> you know, there's a, there's a, okay. So, next is also there is going to be the Zohar. It says like this, it says there's going to be an opening of gates of wisdom from above and, uh, and below, which means there's going to be a, a measure of, of a lot of, a lot of wisdom coming into the world. And there's, by the way, there's a lot of dates that actually, and this actually came out in the mid-1800s and the people that calculated, and that's when the scientific revolution started coming about. And if you realize it, the way the scientific revolution was coming, so it was, it was pretty slow succession. You know, they created first machines, and then there's slowly this, and then, you know, they created the automobile, and then the airplane, and what, you know, slowly, slowly you got, and then you're in like nowadays, where it's like, it's not slowly anymore. Every few months there's something new. Uh, you know, you can speak about it in phones. You know, you cannot have a phone more than like, I would say three to four months, and it's not being, it's not new anymore. Cause if you, you know, there's, there's, you know, the dates where they release it is like interactively. So you have the, the, the newest Android come out, but then Apple is coming out with you know, the shortly afterwards. And it's constantly everything, but that's just the phone. You look at the cars, the car technology even. You look at airplane technology. You know, I, I, I haven't been, you know, so I, I flew recently and I flew again the year before that, but before that there was a little bit of a gap that I went in a gap. I'm talking about two, two years that I, I wasn't on the airplane. And I'm like, I could see the difference just in the interior. I don't know what's going on in the engine. I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm definitely not an aerodynamic expert or anything of that sort but but just in the inside you see all the technology that they're that they're that they're you know souping up and they're bringing it you know into it it's it's unreal on how fast technology is moving in nowadays which just shows you that what's the rush there must be that something is is going really fast okay so also there's going to be an opening of the mystical teachings of the Torah. So this went also for the good and for the bad. Because you have, um, you know, you have, you, you know, the, the Kabbalah centers, you know, that they open up in, you know, California. They have also, I think, in New York, where, where literally it's, it's, you know, 
it hurts me to go visit their websites because I visit one website where they sell like a red string and some water with along with a um, with some sort of pendant that would protect you from all harm, and for like five hundred bucks, I'm like you've got to be kidding me. I'm like, well, I guess if someone's idiotic enough to think that he's going to go online, but the problem is, is that people that are not familiar with it, they the, people that are not familiar with it, they'll be like, uh, yeah, all right, you know, this is this Jewish thing is going to protect me, and why not? And I'll do it, and, and it's a really a shame. So you have the mystical teachings on the on the negative side where people go and manip- but look how open it is, you know, th- there's there's not a month goes by that I don't get an email or something where people are asking me to explain a medrash or a Kabbalistic teaching. And I'm like looking at this and I'm like, this makes no sense. I'm like, where did you get this from? And they send me the, because I'm looking at it, I'm like, I don't understand that. It really is conflicting. And then it turns out, uh, the most recent one that I got, which was uh, last week, Someone sent me, um, someone sent me a whole, a whole thing, and he showed me contradicting between one and two things, and I'm like, oh, you're right, but, but what's your source for it? It turns out there's some reform guy who calls himself a rabbi that he wrote a medrash. He decided he's gonna write it, I know, a whole explanation. I'm like, of course it's contradicting, because he doesn't know what he's talking about. He's, what is he, he wrote a medrash. Not only that, they compiled it into an app. Like, you know, it's classified. Maybe he opened the app himself, but it's like, there's a classification of the medrashim, and it's all there. So you have like the mystical part of the teaching, which which you know is amazing. You have the, 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 in English, even in English, there's many many good books in English about the teaching of the mysticals of the Torah. But at the same time, you have the flip side. You have the people that are just abusing it, and you know anybody with a you know just just an um, you know access to a computer could all of a sudden become a rabbi, and he's writing articles about midrashim. And people who don't know any better read it, and they're like, okay. And most general the general people that are reading online all these things don't usually know what you know the you know if it's fake or if it's real. So. That's also, um, uh, you know, the sign. And there, there's another prophecy. It's actually another good prophecy. It says in the future, Jerusalem will um, will encompass the cover the entire land of Israel. Which we think about it, yeah, you know, has anybody been to Jerusalem? So you guys been there? So you know the you know what consider was considered Jerusalem the old city. The old city is not big. It's not. I mean, you know, it's it's heavily condensed. There's literally people living on top of each other. If you go to a high place in the old city, you can literally jump like from house to house, or whatever, like a ladder, or whatever. You know, like you know, you can literally like you know go through the entire um, you know uh, city like that. But you you look at it. That's what the old Jerusalem used to be. And now, you know how big Jerusalem is now. And not even besides the fact that it's so big now, they're even you know there's Bet Shemesh nearby that they're considering to move it even to compensate it also into into there's like sub cities that were near you know Jerusalem that are slowly getting swallowed up by Jerusalem because it's keep on expanding and expanding and expanding. So. We see over here is already another a prophecy that's coming uh, coming into fruition. The, it says also in Amos in in uh, chapter eight verse eleven. It says, "I sent a hunger into the land, not a not a hunger, not a uh, for bread, and not a thirst for water, but rather a thirst to hear the word of Hashem." And this is something that's so true, and I see it all the time. You know, like uh, when you think of the word tshuva, balei tshuva. Right, you think about it, you think about it, you know, there, there's, uh, you know, there's majority of the Jews. First of all, everybody's supposed to be a Baal Because if you sin once, you're a Baal Tshuva already. Um, so everybody's supposed to be under the category of a Baal Tshuva. But at the same time, you look at it, Baal Tshuva has a meaning today that's very different than it meant 200 years ago. No Baal Tshuva, there's, there's flocks and flocks of people that are Baal Tshuva. There's, there's cities that are turning over and becoming more religious. That wasn't in existence, uh, you know, 200, 300, 400 years ago. The, and even, even more so, you have, um, you have the young people becoming religious, and the parents are not religious. You, you ever realize this? This has never happened in the history. 
the way that it works is, is that the parents teach the children, and the children teach, when they become parents, they teach their children, and that's it goes, father to son, father, you know, mother to daughter, whatever, yada, 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 that's the way it goes. Now generations are completely opposite. The children are speaking to the father, to, you know, to the parents. You know, please do this, please do that, which is completely opposite of also, it doesn't make any sense. You would think, what is a, what is a person in their, in their, you know, twenties, the thirties, whatever it is, even the teenagers, what do they want to do? They want to party and have fun. The parents who are settled already be like, alright, listen, we're one step in the next world already, let's, uh, you know, settle down and figure out what's, what we're going to do over there. But it's, it's opposite. The children who are, who are, are taking upon themselves these restrictions, these things that they do, and they're trying to convince the parents. And, um, this is actually a prophecy in Malachi, in actual, in Tanakh. You look at the last prophet was Malachi. So in the in chapter three, verse twenty-three and twenty-four, it says, I'm going to send Eliyahu Navi before the, the time of Mashiach. And then it goes to the next pasuk, Avot Albanim, and he will turn back the heart of the fathers on the, from the sons through the children. Through literally exactly what we're doing, the the children are going to bring back the parents. You're looking at it, it's this generation right here, right now, which is, which is, you know, it's crazy because I get all the time, um, now this is like a constant thing, like, you know, what am I supposed to do? My parents, you know, are this, I'm trying to get them more observant. How am I supposed to do it? What am I, what am I supposed to say? This is not a question that, that, you know, people that speak get just once or twice. It's a constant, it's amazing. I love hearing that question. That's an amazing thing because, you know, that, that means, you know, we're, we're working in the right direction. But you look at it, it is an outright prophecy that you think about it, if you told somebody this 100 years ago, 200 years ago, you'd be like, are you crazy? It's like I'm trying to get my kid to put on Tfilini, so lazy, so tired. Um, so, so you think about it, it's completely the opposite. And, um, you know, the, the, uh, the Ramchal says that the way that the world, um, you know, the way that the world works, it's, it's, it's a little bit opposite of the way that it appears to the, to the person's eyes. For example, there is, um, you know, in the time of the Mabul, in the generation of the flood, God gave them an amazing life. They had everything that they could ask for. And you think about them, look at all these people, they're so wicked, and they're having an amazing, amazing life. It makes absolutely no sense. And the, the reason is, when you look at it, you know, from now, it was that he was giving them all the, all the reward in this world. So when they get into the next world, they got nothing. So too, the same things, when you think about the time of Mashiach, and there's so much bad things, so far we just spoke about good things, but when we're still going to hear the, the bad things, you're going to be like, what's God doing? It's God turning his, his, you know, he's not even looking at his children, what's going on? And the answer is, you don't, you're, you're just seeing it from that perspective, because he's just bringing you in so that you can be into the, the you know, into the era of Mashiach. It's sort of, of what we see, we don't really understand, because we don't really see. And if you would be able to see, then you would understand. The, um, the Gemara in Ketubot, page 112, B, that says that in the generation, the says in the generation when Mashiach ben David will come, there will be accusations against Chachamim. And I don't know what's going now, I keep on, you know, I'm not, not so up to date on the news in Israel, but, uh, you know, there was a, you know, certain point that they wanted to draft old people that are learning in the, in, you know, in the Shiva. And it's a constant battle back and forth. And you look at, you, you look at the way that the, the, the Israeli government, you know, the Jewish government is going, it's, it's literally against Torah. It's against, it's not a, you know, granted, you know, Baruch Hashem, it's getting better at some points, from what I hear, I don't know, maybe it might be getting worse, from what I hear, getting a little bit better, but at the same, same point in time, it's, it's, it's going against the Torah, it's going against the people that are learning the Torah. The, um, the Gemara in Sanhedrin, page 98, says that, this is, this is, this is Rabbi, Rabbi Abba says, and by the way, this I brought a little bit, uh, uh, very briefly last week, so I'm not gonna go delve into it. it he says that, Rabbi Abba says that there's no, sign that the end is approaching that is clearer than Eretz Yisrael, Israel giving tremendous fruit. He says, you want to know like a really clear sign? So Israel is going to give, give fruit. Which now we're like, by the way, if you ever go to Israel, the fruits are delicious. They're like, they're, 
they make when you eat a fruit in Israel and you come here and eat a fruit over here, you feel like you're eating something that's rotten, stale, and they suck the the, the flavor out of it. Israel is it's it's really like a delicious fruit. So when you when you look at it now, you're like, what if? Of course, Israel is giving fruit. But if you think about it. 50 years ago, 70 years ago, 100 years ago, the, the thing was a desert. We spoke about it last week. The thing was nothing to do with that. I would be Israel's giving fruit. Are you got to kidding me? That's a desert. So now we see that Israel is giving an amazing fruit, a tremendous fruit, just like the prophecy says in the, in the Gemara. So the Gemara further goes on and says that Torah scholars who generally have peace, there is not going to be peace for them before the time of Mashiach. So the, the, um, uh, um, the Rashi explains that what is this referring to? This is referring to peace from the Yetzirah. Generally what happens is that if somebody has a Yetzirah, what he's supposed to do is he's supposed to learn Torah. Because if you have a temptation, a desire of to do something bad, what you do is you learn Torah that, that subsides, that takes down the desire. But in the time before Mashiach, the, the Chachamim, even the Tamid Chachamim that are learning all day, they're going to, they're going, they're, this thing that they have, this like, uh, you know, which everybody has, that they could go in and they could learn Torah and that would get rid of the Satan, it's not going to work. It's not going to work in the time before, right before Mashiach comes. And the reason is, explains to Torah and it says that, you know, when, uh, um, to explain it, if you ever, you know, if you light a candle, right before, the second before the candle goes out, it gets really bright. And then it, and it dies out. If you've ever been near a person that passed away as they pass away, you notice that right before they pass away, they get a little better, and then they pass away. And the same thing with, with a plant. If it, let's say a plant is about to die, and it's from thirst or whatever it is, all its energy it uses to produce a seed, and then it dies. And this is the way that the general, that, that God made it work, the nature work, that before something goes, it gets a, urge, a surge of power, and then it goes. And the same thing with the Yetzirah. The Gaman Sukkah says that before, when Mashiach comes, the, the Satan is going to be killed. It's going to be done. There's not going to be an evil inclination anymore. So what happens is, he sees that he's dying, so he's using all his last forces to give that burst of light, not light, a burst of real darkness, and you know, make people sin, to try to tempt them into doing all the bad things, and that's why it's going to be so powerful right before the time of Mashiach comes. This is also why we'll soon see, we'll explain certain things that makes absolutely no sense, but we see nowadays, like the young children being very chutzpahdik, very, uh, you know, have the audacity in front of their parents. I, I still don't understand this, and I don't want to speak about it now, because I want to save it for the right part where it's supposed to be, but you know, like, how the, the you know, people call their parents old man. Oh, you gotta be kidding me, you call, who, how dare you? You know, he brought you into this world, it's generally the non-Jews and this thing. Hey old man, what's going on, can you pass me the remote? I slap you with the remote. What do you mean, pass you the old man? Who, who do you think you are? And this is, this is not, this is like, and the parents are okay with it. You know that there are people that call the parents by the first names? Hey Clark, what's going on? I'm like, what happened to Pops? Dad? Daddy? What, what do you know? The Dodgers. I'm like, where, where, where's, where's your just simple kabota? Just, just your parents. Anyways, not for now, for later. So, um, okay. The um, Rabbi Simlai says that Mashiach will not come until there are no more judges and policemen, which is enforces of Bezdin's law amongst Bnei Israel, which means that there's the Bezdin says something and nobody can do anything about it. Like, okay, they say no, and I'm like, oh, whatever, I don't care. You know, and I'm going to do it, and no one's going to do anything about it. So the, um, the also this is actually what we spoke about before, and I really wanted to go on it more. If you see a generation that troubles are coming after one after another, then you should then you should wait for it. And you know, we have. The, the problem is, is that the, the problems come so often that we don't even realize it. And we're like, okay, whatever. You know, and, and you move, it doesn't even affect you, you know, as much as it used to. Like, uh, you know, whether it's something bad that's happening over here or in Israel or somewhere else in the world, it's like, it doesn't, it, we got desensitized to it. 
Even if you hear a story like, you know, somebody, you know, went in and an Arab terrorist went and stabbed somebody in Israel. Back then, it would be like, are you kidding me? Someone died in Israel from... Stabbing is like the worst way of death. It's like literally you see a knife coming and it's like, it's like it keeps on going. It's not like a bullet that goes... And you hear about this. Then a terrorist comes into someone's house, Rahman al and he goes and, he's, and he butchers the entire family. You feel bad for a little bit while you read the article. Then you read, oh, look at this cat dancing, very funny. This is hilarious. You know, and then you'll share this with like, you know, 14 people. I, we come desensitized to it, but we have so many troubles, unfortunately, that are coming one after another. That's when you know Mashiach is, is on its way. The Gemara also goes on. It says Ben David, which was referring to Mashiach. Mashiach is Ben David. He's not going to come until there are many informers in Israel. And I found that also in America, that the way it works like this. If let's say you're able to uh, tip the IRS about somebody who's not paying taxes. So whatever they collect, you get a percentage of it. So, which is, these are literally informers. These are, these are considered Mosel. Uh, so he says until in Israel, you have people that just befriend you just to get the information. And then they go and they make, you know, oh, I found out I didn't pay a million shekels in taxes. You know, he just made 150,000 shekels, whatever it is. And this is their business. You know, they go and befriend people, get the thing. And people that do it over here also. If I'm not mistaken, over here, you get the same amount. Of that. I was speaking to an accountant over here and he told me the same thing. If, you, if you're able to, to give a tip and the IRS recovers something that they didn't, you know, you know, wasn't on the books, whatever it is, you get a percentage of it. Is, oh, this is a very interesting. It, uh, there's, um, there's a baisa that speaks about what happens before Mashiach comes in certain cycles. I'm not going to go into a you know, one-year famine, one year, say, one year full of, of food, one year, you know, parts of the world not, parts of the yeah. But it says in the sixth year, before Mashiach comes, which is right before Mashiach comes, there's going to be voices. There's going to be, and it speaks about the voices, and it says alternatively shofar blasts. And um, if, if you, you don't have to listen to them, you don't have to trust my word on it. Tonight, you get home, whatever it is, Go to YouTube. Go to well. You shouldn't go to YouTube because it's a terrible place. But if you're already on, whatever. Not that I, you know, that's a terrible place to be. But it's um, you. You just Google like chauffeur sounds or like noises heard in the skies or like I, I don't even know. I, I remember seeing it, you know, even even like a year ago or something. And you'll hear like it, there are places in Israel, there are places in China, there are places in places that you never even heard of that they literally video the sky, and you hear like chauffeur sounds. Or you hear like screaming, and everybody around is like, "Where is that coming from?" And you don't. It doesn't. It's not like coming from a source. It's not like coming from like one. You know how like if there's a loud noise, so you could like follow the noise. It's coming from like all over. So, which is ridiculous. You'll search it. You'll see it. it says the Gemara says this. It says it's before it's going to come. It's going to be a time. By the way, this in itself should just be enough proof that the Torah is from God. This in itself, where everything that I'm saying, and you can look it up, look up all the sources that I'm giving you, you know, and, and how it's happening now. There should be enough source that you can see that it's that it's all coming from God. And uh, after you hear the voice, it says, so the, the Gemara goes on, after you hear the voices, the next year there's going to be wars, and then Mashiach is going to come after that. Okay, so um, there is there is also how the, 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 the Chazal explained it, that during the time before Mashiach comes, the society is going to be, become very, very secularized. Secularized. Whatever, it's time to move on. I made the mistake. You got to move on with that, you know. So, um, which means is is that, it, and we'll soon see that the people are becoming more secular. People are going are straying away from religion. Um, generally, we have a tremendous of people coming back to religion, but overall, as as a world at large, it's becoming more modernized. And like, we'll soon see the atheist level is like shooting up. It's it's you know it, it's it's really ridiculous what's actually going on there, but. Says the, um, I believe this is Zohar. The Zohar says like this. Says the one thing the Jews are going to keep, even the Jews that don't keep any Torah mitzvot, they're going to keep one thing. Guys, want to guess? No, no, I'm talking about a mitzvah that, that is effective to them. They do, right. You do, but not all of them keep Yom Kippur now. It used to be like that. Now it's becoming like, you know, there are people that their parents are, you know, already weren't religious. They, they used to keep Yom Kippur. Nowadays, 
you know, I, I speak to people that Yom Kippur means nothing to them. Oh, bris? Very well, that's awesome. Bris. The things that they're going to keep is a bris. They're going to keep a brit milah. And first of all, the obvious, and this we still see. People that don't even keep Yom Kippur, they'll make a brit. For some, it might be for odd reasons. It might be for reasons that they don't want their kids to be made fun of in school because, you know, it's, it's, you know I, I, it might be for odd reasons. But at the same time, they're doing They're doing a bleep. says the Zohar, it says that, uh, that in the merit of circumcised Jews, the enemies are vanquished and they inherit their inheritance, which is a really, really powerful uh, thing to, you know, for, for that. And if you think about it, you literally see that the, the secular people that don't believe, in, don't believe in God, they're atheists, but they'll still get a bleep milah. They'll still get the, you know, the, 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 the rabbi come in and they'll do the whole bleep milah, especially in Israel. Does that have to be done like religiously or like? Yeah, so so hospital, it's it's not a yeah. It has to be done religiously because it's a bracha that has it's a process that it's a it's not a procedure. Is um, the main part of everything is the spiritual aspect of it. The physical aspect of it is just there as a what's it called? So I'll give you an example that if let's say somebody goes and he converts or she, well it's not she but if he converts and he has he was circumcised already with a surgical you know circumcision when he was a, you know baby still in the hospital he still has to go through yeah they still have to do another thing. Um, usually in men's classes and women's classes, I don't like how I explain what they actually do because you hear the faces. Like, oh, yeah, but anyways, they got they got to do something else. So they don't cut off anything else. Though, they right? make a bleed, no? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, okay, there. There's also, there's going to be in the time before Mashiach comes is, um, you know, everybody's going to be steeped in sin that you cannot rebuke somebody else. Where, which so much so is, is that it, because one of the reasons is like, well, you're rebuking me, you do the same thing. And, and this is even a problem, even from big people, like, you're talking about rabbis, they rebuke other rabbis, they even, even them, they, they're, they take it in the, you know, they, they don't accept it. You know, for example, there was one rabbi that said something that he shouldn't have said against the halakha, and it was presented to him, the halakha, the right thing to say, and as a normal person, I'll say this all the time, if anybody ever finds something wrong that I say, I take it down. I take down my videos on there, I edit it, or I change it, or I, I remove it completely if there's something, if there's something that I said that's, that's wrong. But, you know, so, so, uh, it was presented to him, and, uh, he refused to take it down. He says, no, no, no. And he gave an answer, which is not an answer, completely not an answer, that why it's okay. And, you know, you look at, this is, this is the people that learn Torah, they know Torah, and you're telling them things, and they still can't, and they still can't do it. So, so much so, people that don't know Torah. Now, Baruch Hashem, the majority are able to, to accept rebuke, and they're able to do it, but, but there are many people that they can't. They can't, you tell them that you can't do something, they, they're gonna shoot you back in the face. It's defense mechanism that shoots up, and they just punch you back in the face. But who are you to tell me what to do? Mind your own business. Okay. So, um, the, okay. It says in the Gemara in Sota, that, the time before um, Mashiach comes, there's going to be, a, we spoke about, there's going to be a lot of chutzpah, but also under that category, so people will not honor each other. And alternatively, you could also translate this, that the honorable people will still be crooked, which I don't need to go into, into details, uh, you know, hamavinya vino, as we say, so those who will understand will understand what I'm talking about. There is going to be a meeting, the meeting places that they're going to be is going to be meant for, um, you know, for, um, not modest meeting places. Women and men doing not modest things together. So, um, the, the, the interpretation of this is that, is that people are not going to be embarrassed to sin. Nowadays, people are not embarrassed. It, it's, it's beyond shocking, you know, that when people come and they'll, well, you know, when I was in this strip club and I did the, you know, this, and I'm like, are you not embarrassed to at least, like, say that you weren't there? Like, how, you know, like, people are not, people are not, and it's, you know, 
you think about it, 100 years ago, there's, not, there's no advertisement like, come to this one. Literally, you drive on the highway and there's like advertisement, come to this one, oh, come to this one, you know, this one's better, you know, this is free, this is, you know, all these things that, are, in the older days, you would be embarrassed to go into those type of places. Nowadays, everyone's, no, open. It's nice. The non-Jews, it's considered a thing to do it before you get married. As if, as if this is a, you know, you want to you have a great marriage? Go, go, go taste other fruit before you, I, I, I don't understand. Okay. But, um, the, uh, furthermore, the Gemara says in Sanhedrin also 97, it says that um, the, there will come a time where the generation will use the Batei Midrashot, the, the places where they learn Torah, for Znut, for, for promiscuity, for things that are not, for the things that are not good. And there was a story that, that you know, came out not, you know, there was a certain, there was a certain uh, um, people, person that went to a, uh, you know, like when there's a, a yurt site, so there's, um, the people go to the big rabbi's graves and they do that. So there's certain places in Israel that it, it's a huge thing. People go to Uman, it's a huge thing at that time of the, you know, there's also places in Europe, there's certain places in Israel that it was, it's considered a huge thing and it, uh, tons and tons of people come. And it turns out that one time, you know, there was, people actually build tents and they, you know, go in tents over there and they camp overnight and they, and, and one time it was caught that there was a, a woman who is, is basically committed adultery and while going to those places. Would you, would you think about it? You're going to a holy place to pray and then you end up committing the worst of the worst. So we see that you know people that are that are combining places for the for the holiness they're they're using it for for uh, um, you know for bad things and there there is you know one of the things why I, I very much dislike the the terminology modern orthodox there's one modern you know he's not even modern orthodox because I actually I actually prayed in the synagogue that he not knowing but uh, you look at the, the mechitza is like yehi which is you know not even table length and it's not even a mechitza that's solid. It's like, you know, like spaces in the, in, the, in the entire thing. And I'm like, how could, this is, can't be orthodox. I mean, the women and men are separate. And, but then, what the shocking thing was, is that um, the rabbi shakes people's hands after Shabbat. And to the woman's side, you know, well, you don't shake a woman's hand, you give her a hug. And this rabbi is there and he's hugging other, I'm like, are you got to be kidding me? I, then, not surprised, first of all, obviously this thing, this, you know, they could call themselves whatever they want. That's not orthodox by any means, way, or form. And if you're in these types of synagogues, leave. It's better not to, you know, you don't step foot in those places. It's a desecration for God's name. But later it turns out that this, you know, guy got actually caught in adultery. When you think about what's going on and, and, and nowadays, this is why you have to be so careful where people are going and people are saying, you know what, everything's okay, everything is great, my rabbi is amazing. Your rabbi most likely is amazing, yeah, granted. But there's always those few out there that you have to be careful about. You have to be careful that they're, you know, and, and especially when, when there's like, real, if someone says like, you know, are you modern? I'm like, really modern orthodox. I'm like, what does that even mean? I'm open orthodox. It's like a new thing that's going on nowadays. You gotta be careful with these things. These things is, is, is not, orthodox should not be anywhere close to that name. You're 100% secular. You might have a kippah, you might go to shul on Shabbat, but, but that's it. It's, it's as far as it, as it actually goes. So, the Gemara says it's going to be a, a main place for, for Znut. And furthermore, people are going to despise people that fear sin. So there's somebody that, that's scared to sin, and he screams in publicly about, about them. What happens? Everybody makes noise against this person that makes that, that, if, so, if there's a speaker that comes out and says things, you know, the way that it's supposed to be said, then, you know, there are people that don't like it and they come and they speak against the speaker. They're like, who are you? We don't like your tactic. Who are you to not like your tactic? What is this, critics on speakers now? Like, all of a sudden you're reading two thumbs up, five stars on the speaker. Well, who are you to give, uh, to give your rating on it? And, um, so, I think the point comes across fairly, uh, clear. That, um, I, I want to go, um, on for the, you know, 
few minutes that we have left, there's, um, and, and we're going to go here, I'm going to speak about all this next time. There was, so I, I got my information. One of the reasons that it took me so long to actually compile all this information is because after going through all the Gemara sources, and after going through all the, the, the Torah, the Chazal, and everything that you go through, then I like to go and see what, you know, current people speak about it and how they write about it. So I was, I, I you know, I bought some Sfarim on, on Mashiach, and, you know, every once in a while, some I'd like, some I don't like. There was one Sefer that I bought, and I'm like, this is awesome. Like, I, I try, what I do is I usually try to, you know, I take part that I like and I and I insert it in there and whatever give obviously credit where credit is due and there's one sefer that I bought that it was like I literally put the entire book in almost the entire book in my notes because it was so great he did such a great job in it it's called Redemption Unfolding so if anybody wants to run, read anything more um, you can definitely look into that it was by um, Alexander Arye um, what's his name by Alex, Rabbi Alexander Arye Mandelbaum by Feldheim Publishers. Really great, uh, he did a great job in it. So we're actually gonna take a lot of information from him, so give him the credit, the credit due, because he, he did a lot of, uh, research in this, and Mashi, I think he did a, a, a wonderful job. So, it says first of all, that the purpose of all this destruction, and we, not destruction, the Chabla Mashiach, the, the suffering before Mashiach comes, is so that we should strengthen ourselves. And, the idea is you wanna get the point, you wanna get the hint before it gets out of control, and then you like, you know, finally you, you get the hint when it's too late. So, Let's go through a few things in, in the in a few minutes that we have left, and the other time we'll have to continue when we um, uh, when we speak about this next. It says in the Gemara and Sota, we're going to say something, and then we're going to go into depth on it. It says that wine will be very expensive in the time of Mashiach comes, and um, you look at and so some of the interpretation for it is, is as follows. First of all, is people are going to be so into partying that there's going to be such a a demand for for wine and liquor and all these things that what the prices are going to go up. And I've seen that in my day. If let's say, eat, forget about wine. Just look at look at scotch for a second. If anybody's it likes scotch, and you know, let's say you know you like the scotch, you it's crazy what ten years ago the prices were to today. You're talking about almost a hike and double the price in some scotches. And wine also, everything is going up. And it's not like it's getting it's because the the supply is getting less. The supply is pl- wine. There's plenty of grapes. There's not a problem with that. In fact, I heard, I, I haven't read this, but I heard, you know, somebody once mentioned that they actually are dumping grapes into the ocean because if they flood the world, with the amount of grapes that we have in the world, if we flood it, it's gonna, the, the price is gonna go down and, you know, it's not good for business. So they're actually just chucking grapes out. So, you know, we don't have it. So he says one of the reasons that wine is going to be expensive is because everybody's going running after wine. And therefore it's gonna become expensive even though it's, uh, plentiful. And the world, and as we see it, is giving its primary focus to pleasures of this world. That is the main focus, undeniable. Undeniable, no one can, can say no, not true. It, it's like, it's, it's, you have to be blind not to see it. There is, um, you know, very unfortunate because you have the people that are mixing this temporary world for the next permanent world. And their, and their focus, their sole focus in the world is for this, uh, for this temporary world. And, uh, you know, and in fact, Yeruchim of Mir, he used to say, like, you know, our attitude is not to eat, drink, and be merry. That's somebody else's attitude. That's their attitude for tomorrow you may die. Our attitude is not. That's not. And unfortunately, there are many people, even the religious, even that they're acting religious, and they are religious, they really are religious, but uh, but the focus is, is a li- just just that little bit off, or I could say way off, uh, that their focus is, is more in this world and the next world. The Chavot al-Vavot says like this, and, uh, you know, in... Um, Shah Precious goes and he says the following. He says that the, you know, the fathers are telling the children completely wrong advice. They say, that, and this is, this is how people are, grow up, are brought up, that if somebody benefits from this world, they're considered ambitious. If somebody's able to accomplish a lot in this world, they're successful. If somebody is not accomplishing a lot, lazy, unsuccessful, shlamazel, whatever you want to, whatever words that you want to use, you look at that person, it depends, you want to classify success, 
what you're doing right now. How much money you have in the bank account? What car do you drive? Where, how much vacations you're going? How big is your house? Yada, yada, yada. That's what defines successful. In the non-Jewish world, understandable. But to, to seep into the Jewish world, and this is how we classify it, is a very, very big misrepresentation of completely what the, against what the Torah is saying. The Torah is saying this world is a hallway. The next world is the mansion. Everybody's focused on the hallway and bedazzling their hallway. When they get to the mansion, it's going to be beer empty. If it even exists, their mansion anymore. So the, um, this is what he, you know, I like the way that he, that he explains it. It says they make their stomachs their God and their clothing their Bible. Which I think is, is right on. So the, you know, and he, I spoke about this before and I think when I spoke about money. There are some people that they're so, that, you know, they don't, you know how they classify other people? But, and I've had these conversations before with people where, uh, they, by what car they drive. Be like, oh, you know, Moishi, you know, this guy, Moishi Smith? Like, no, who's my shit? You know the guy who drives up like a black Alex uh, 470? Oh, yeah, I know the guy. Of course, he's my next door neighbor. He doesn't know him by name, but he knows him by the car that he drives. Especially if it's, it's like, oh, no, come on, there's one Lamborghini in Brooklyn. You know, you got the guy who drives a Lamborghini. Like, oh, yeah, yeah the guy who's right next to the guy who has a Ferrari, right? Like, yeah, yeah. You know, they don't know them by names. They classify them, not by, by anything else, but rather by their material, um, what they accomplished. And, and what's shocking is that you have people that know almost nothing about Torah. And I'm talking about even people that went through the yeshiva system. They went through, they went through the yeshiva system. You ask them, simple question. What's this week's parasha? Well, I have no idea. You know, what is it? What are we? Sefer Shemoto. Let's see, where Pesach is coming up. So, we're, you know, they, they're like completely fumbling for the thing. But yet you ask them, what's the latest model of the, you know, of the car, of the phone, of the, whatever it is that they're into. Oh, they got all the details. You know, the size of the rims, you know, the shocks that they have, the cooling seats, the massaging seats, the cooling steering wheel, the heating steering wheel. And they have all these like right on the tip of their tongue. I say, oh, the car and driver all day, all day with the, all their magazines and all the, the things they're looking. Ask them about baseball stats and all the, the they know what, what, who played the Super Bowl, but they don't know what last week's Pasha was. They sat in the synagogue. They sat and they heard. They, they should have heard whatever they, but they still don't know what was going on because they're too busy talking to somebody else. And, but yet they know who, who won the, the Super Bowl, who did that, which shows you where's the effort, where's the focus in life. The focus in life is in the wrong places. This is what's going to happen in the time before Mitchell comes. This is the world is going to be steeped into materialism. Even more so, the, 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 the whole idea of living for eternity is going to be forgotten. It's, it's not even going to be there. It's, it's all living in the now. Living in the now pleasure of what's happening right now. Okay. Uh, we have a few more minutes? Yeah? And I've never actually said that and somebody said no. <laughs> it's like a rhetorical question almost. I shouldn't probably, shouldn't probably say that. But we'll go, go for a few more minutes and we'll, uh, I don't even think I'll finish where, where I wanted to. The, the next thing it says in Gaman Sotam. This is a this is a great one. It says the gen- the face of the generation will be like the face of the dog, which is a very odd thing to say if you think about it. Like, what does that even mean? But you know, there was uh, years ago. Um, I don't remember what it was. I I read this. Um, I don't know if it was an article. It was a bunch of pictures that where you show the dog owners and they're and that they look the same. And it is, by the way, it's not what the good Gemara is speaking about, and that's not an interpretation. But just the words just reminded me of that. It's like I don't know if you guys seen that, but it's like it was uncanny. It was scary. It'll be like, you know, there's some people that they love the dogs more than they love themselves. You know, you know, the dogs lick them. I don't, I don't know if they're blind. They know where the dogs lick. And, you know, they're, they're like, oh, give, give, give daddy a kiss. I'm like, what, are you kidding me? It's like, you know, that's, that's like kissing a toilet. Literally. Because what do you think he drinks? From the toilet. It, it, it's, it's, but, but people, you know, but it, it's funny because you see that they're literally like the faces are exactly the same. You have some guy with like poochie cheeks and he has like a dog with like, you know, like a, it, it's hilarious. But there's not what the Gemara is talking about. It's not looking physically at that. It says in the Gemara in Sotah that the, the, Pneha Dok Pneha Kelef. Rashi gives two explanations. First, Rashi says that, that, um, oh, I'm sorry. It actually, Rashi does say it. I don't completely, maybe this will remind me. 
that they'll, they'll look similar. They actually will look similar to dogs. I take it back what I said before. I'm wrong. It says right over here. I can't, and I wrote this. I still remember. Yeah. So, uh, see how much chazara you have to do. You have to always review. Look, but it, this is what you need to know. It's also, literally, Rashi says it, that the dogs, the dogs and their owners will look similar. Um, so furthermore, you have, um, that Rashi says and says that the generation will not be ashamed of one another like a dog. Dogs are not ashamed. I don't know if anybody has owned a dog, but uh, they generally, um, if there's anything, they will do, I don't know how to say it in a clean way, but I think you guys understand what I'm talking about. They'll, they'll do anything on any, anybody. It doesn't matter if it's moving or not. They're not ashamed of nothing. So that's what the generation is going to be like. And granted, you see, you read just a little bit about the news. It's like, it's exactly the same. You have people, obviously they're perverted and twisted and that. They're doing exactly the same thing that the dogs are doing. The, um, further, the Maharsha explains that the name, the dog in Hebrew is Kelev. Kelev is, 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 it's the, the, the way that if you break up the words, it's, it's Kulo Lev, which means it's all heart. Uh, Kelev is Kelev, like a heart. Also, it's, um, uh, dogs are very loyal. They're very loyal creatures, which is why, uh, is that where it says that man's best friend is a dog? Is that, okay, so, which makes sense. They're very loyal creatures, and they'll, they'll go with you to the end of the, you know, to the, to the end of the line. I, you know, there's, there was a, a cop, I think, that got, like, you know, stripped of his gun because he shot the dog because he was arresting his owner, and the dog went and, and he, you know, ran after him, and he actually shot him, and he actually got, you know, uh, I think stripped of, the, I don't know what, exactly what happened, but, you know, the, 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 the dog will give everything to its owner, even at the stage of death. It will go do anything for it. So, the, um, the, the idea is, that this is on the flip side, how it's working in Mashiach. In the times of Mashiach, people are going to be looking on the outside as if they're so considerate about the other people. Oh yeah, I care about the animals, uh, PETA. I care so much about the animals, I do one of this, yada, yada, yada. But inside, uh, they, they, you know, the feelings are insincere. People will go and present like they care about other people, and they care about their misfortunes, but inside they're like, I couldn't care less. I wish that they go away so I could go and finish watching my whatever I'm doing, wasting my life with. And, and this is very unfortunate, and it's, and it's very, very true. And I've, I've said this before, like you've had, when, when somebody tells bad news to somebody else, and, you know, you actually see the, the conversation. Don't ask me how I know these things. I'm, I'm weird. I look at the weirdest things. Um, and in fact, I'll tell you like, the, I don't know if I said this before, but I, um, I had a student that got married not too long ago. And when I was by the wedding, I wanted, I, you know how the, the, the bride walks in. So the Svaldim and Ashka the same thing. The bride walks in, everyone stands up and they want the, you know, the bride goes in. So everyone looks at the bride. They're, what are they singing? They're praying. It's supposed to be a very big time to pray. Um, I went, I took my, my camera and I just, just took like a thousand pictures of the Khatan for the first time seeing his bride walk in. Obviously, whatever, he saw the bride, you know, covering, but he's seeing the bride walk down to him. That's the picture that I want to take. Because that's, if ever he ever comes back to me, I'm showing him that picture. I'm like, look at that. Look at your face. Look how much you loved her. <laughs> so stop saying anything bad about it. <laughs> Not that he ever needs it. Not that he ever needs it. He should, not, he should never need it. But it's, but it, it's a good idea to, you know, you think you know, a little bit, a little bit outside the box. So. You hear two people having this conversation, and, you know, one's telling the other one bad news. Be like, you know, you heard about, you know, like, whatever, Shangle, you know, what happened to, what happened to her? She's like, you know, she's getting divorced. You'd be like, what? And like, you, you could see the smile, like, creeping out. Be like, are you serious? I feel so bad. So, so what, what happened? You know, like, all of a sudden the gossip is coming in there. And inside, you know, you could see the, the happiness gleaming and be like, I'm better than her. <laughs> you know, like, she didn't make it, but I am, uh, you know, I'm still married. You know, even though I hate my husband's guts, but it's still, whatever, I'm still partially married. And, and they, people, you know, thrive on this information. And it's like, it, it's like outside, they make it look like, oh, oh my, what, where does gossip come from? You hear about what, because people feel so bad? When you feel so bad about something, you don't spread it. 
when you want it, when it feels, makes it feel, why does it make it feel good? Oh, because, you know, outside, you'd be like, oh, you know, I feel terrible. She's just one of the, you know, her husband just lost his job and they're going to have to move out of the house. Why do you tell this to everybody? Who cares? Why do they need to know this information? Rather, you like it. You're enjoying it. Why are you enjoying it? Outside, it makes it look like you actually care about the person. But inside, you're enjoying it because it makes yourself feel better about yourself. Okay. So, the, um... The, the, first of all, the, the, um, the Etz Yosef explains, it says that the, the leaders of the generation will be lowly as dogs. Which means is, is that, in the, um, you know, the, the, this refers to particularly the wealthy people. The dogs are, are, you know, they're not generous animals. They're not, if you give them, a, you know, a bone, it's not gonna share with somebody else. It's their bone. Don't touch my bone, or I will, whatever, roll, growl. And, uh, won't share food with anybody else. A very stingy animal. So too, in the time before the, before the Mashiach comes, there's going to be wealthy people, but they can be very stingy with their money. They'll give tzedakah. They'll give tzedakah, but not as much as they can, and they, or they should. And granted, it's not an overall case. There are many people that give tons of charity. Tons, literally tons and tons of charity. And God bless them all you know, with, with more and more money, because if they're doing the right thing, we all, we all have a lot of money and do the right thing with it. Amen. So, uh, unless you don't want it, whatever, it's fine. So, um... The, but the idea is, is that, is that there's gonna be stingy people, they're not gonna to wanna to give the money. They're not, they're gonna hold it to themselves. You know, like, like a little dog growling on his mind, his mind, his mind. He keeps him barking when everybody comes in and says, you know, if you have some charity, ah, I gave yesterday. They're like, you're worth ten billion dollars, why can't you give the guy ten bucks? Ah, you know, I already fulfilled my charity obligation for the month. And, uh, um, so that's, that is the idea on that. The Chida also writes in the, describing the Gemara and Shabbat. It says that the dog is considered the poorest of all the animals. Generally, stingy people are considered, you know, poor because they can't, they, they, you know, they can't even enjoy their money. Okay. Also, the Gemara and Beitza says that it's, um, that dogs are very stubborn. I don't think I even have to continue about what's going on nowadays. I think everybody's very well aware how stubborn people are. Just look at what road rage goes on. You know, the anger and the pride. It, nonstop. Just, Whatever, we don't have to go into that. But, uh, um, this is, this is an, this is a great interpretation also. Vistral Salanter. He says, how does the dog go? If you, you know, I always hate this. I'm walking in the street, and you're in New York, put a leash on your dog. You know, but, you know, I have like, my daughter, scared, petrified of dogs. She's like, there's no leash on your dog. You know, she's like, she holds me the tightest. Granted, I'm a father, I like her. You know, okay, my daughter holds me tight. You know, not so bad. Something like walking, no, I'm just kidding. Walk closer to the dog. Oh, no, no. I can't, can't cause uh, any harm. But, uh, you know, the people that walk the dogs, don't worry about it. Yeah, my Rottweiler is trained. And, but like, you know, it's nice. Keep him unleashed in your house. Well, you gotta keep him unleashed. So there's some people that, but even a dog that goes without a leash, what does it do? It, it runs to the end of the block, you know, and then turns around, looks for its master. You know, it looks, it turns around. so it looks like the dog is the master, cause the dog is running ahead, but then it always turns around to look where his master is going, and then he follows it. The same thing is gonna be in the leaders of the generation. Leaders of, what is a generation supposed to do? Leaders of the generation, the rabbis of the places. There's something bad that happens, they put their foot down, and they tell you what you're supposed to do, and that's the end of the story. But what do rabbis do now? They'll say it, they're like, was it okay? Was it too harsh? Was it okay? You know, is it okay? And if the, if the, if the, if they don't get a good rating, they're gonna retract on that. They're like, oh, I didn't mean that, I did this. It's literally like the dog. Like, who's, it looks like the rabbi's leading it, but really they're always looking back at the congregation, the board. Let's look at the board. What does the board say? Is that right? Okay. Shabbat? We, we could keep Shabbat this week? Okay. You know, like, you look at the board, and then, you know, you're turning around, and that's what the board is. So it's exactly, exactly what it is. It's exactly like a dog. The leader is running away. It looks like he's leading it, but he's always looking back, seeing what's, what, the, you know, what the board is going to say, what this leader, you know, what this person is going to say. And this is, you know, it's ridiculous. If the Torah says something, and you're a speaker, a leader, whatever it is, you have an obligation to say it. Stop sugarcoating, stop trying to get good ratings, don't, you're not supposed to be caring on that. If you care about that, you're in the wrong business. Not that this is a business, uh, but you're in the wrong profession. Go and do something else. Go become a politician. Literally, this is how politicians are. Politicians are, they tell you what you want to hear. There are certain rabbis, they tell you what they want to hear. You give a big enough donation, you don't have to keep Shabbat. 
That's not true, by the way. Whoever's listening, that's not true. There's no matter how much money you give, you can always, you can never get out of Shabbat. Okay. So, um, also the Chafetz Chaim goes, and this is what I mean. We're going to go into detail by each, and, uh, instead of just saying, you know, dogs are just like that. So that's what we're going into, into, uh, tremendous detail. The Chafetz Chaim explains like this. It says when a dog is hit by a stick, what does the dog do? He gets angry at the stick. You know, he tries to grab the stick. But he doesn't realize that there's somebody hitting the stick. The same time, in the time the Mashiach comes, God is going to send the stick, he's going to hit it. The guy, the person is going to be upset. Oh, that guy, he just stole money from me. Oh, that guy just hit me. He's not going to realize that there's somebody orchestrating this whole thing, and that's God. And, and that, that's exactly the same thing that's going to be in the time, this is how it's going to be in the time of Mashiach. So, um, and, and also, the, the way that a dog goes, a dog, you know, he's always sniffing on the ground. You know, since you know, walking on the ground, always face fo- fo- uh, looking down. It says, in the time of the gener- generation of Mashiach, the entire generation is going to be looking at the ground, looking at the worldly pursuit. They don't care about anything else. They're looking, they're smelling for the next food, for the next deal, the next thing that they could accomplish. The next thing that they could do, that's what they're smelling for, that's what they're doing. Just like a dog who's always focused on the ground. This is what it says in Kohelet, chapter 5, verse 9. It says, Somebody who loves money will never be satisfied by money. And it's 100% true. You have billionaires nowadays that, you know, just retire. Like, there's no need for you to, like, you could, you know, let's buy a few buildings, whatever it is that you want to do with your money, and you'll have enough for your children and for your grandchildren. Enjoy life. But no, they keep on working, they keep on doing that. Granted, they get, for the non-Jews, if they get a thrill by it, and, and what, by all means. But as a Jewish, a Jewish person, if you have enough money, to, you know, then you should spend at least most of your day learning Torah. You don't have that, but you could hire somebody to run, run your business. What do you got to go? And, and it's, it's somebody who loves money will never be satisfied, satisfied with money. No matter how much they have, they can be the richest person in the world, they will still go for more. Okay. And this is why, and we'll, we'll finish in this many minutes, is that fine? Is that good? Okay. So, okay, that's all I like that answer. The, um, only, the only reason why I want to try to uh, put more into it is because, you know, if we don't do that, we'll be on this for like months on this, on this topic. So, the, um, oh yeah, okay, twisted value system. The, the, what do we value now? We spoke about it before, we value wealth, the wealth. We value the wealth, we don't value anything else. Um, and, and, you know, ideally, when you're, when you're, um, going after money, money is supposed to be a, a means to an end, not to an end to itself. And, you know, the idea was, I saw this uh, very cute story on this fisherman. There's once a fisherman who was in, like, you know, this nice island, you know, beautiful vacation island. He sits over there. He sits, you know, he has his little hat over there. He's a nice cold beer, and he's fishing. And he's sitting over there. Meanwhile, this, this wealthy guy, you know, has a few businesses, comes on vacation to this island. So he sits over there. He also, you know, what do wealthy people do? You know, golf and fishing and the lazy sports. So they go, and they sit, sit in front of the, um, in, by the water next to this guy, and he's, he's also fishing. And he's watching this guy. You know, he, he catches a few fish. He puts it in his bucket. And, you know, for like seven hours is all he does. He's just sitting there enjoying the sun, enjoying the, you know, the waves, you know, uh, um, drinking his beer. Finally, the wealthy guy says, he says, he says, you know, is this what you do for a living? He says, yeah. So he says, uh, you know, why don't you, you know, go get a small boat, go into the ocean. You can get more, you know, you can get more, much more fish that way. And he's like, why would I, you know, why would I do that? So the fisherman asks. So the wealthy guy says, because once you get more fish, you could buy a bigger boat. And then you could get, you could invest in nets and, and all this, you know, fishing equipment. And you can get even, you know, the business guy's giving him business advice. And he says, then you can get even a bigger, uh, you know, uh, you know, operation. 
And the fisherman's like, what would I get with that? And he says, what do you mean? He says, after you get that, you could get a warehouse and you could store the fish and you could sell it wholesale and you could, you know, you could branch out to who knows what. And he's like, well, well you know, why would I do that? He's like, are you kidding me? He says, you have employees, employers, you know, you're going to have, you're going to build, you're going to build, you know, an empire. You're going to have, you know, boats going out into the seas. You're going to have people, you know, shipping in all different angles. You're going to be, you know, very, very wealthy. It's a, it's a great business. So he says, you know, the fisherman says, but why would I do that? He says, cause then you could be as wealthy as me and you could vacation just like me. He says, but I'm here all the time. I'm vacationing more than you. I'm doing what, exactly what you're doing right now. So you understand, like some people go and they go and they go and they go and they go. It's a full circle. Just to get for whatever the guy who's, you know, you know, it looks like the businessman is a smart one. But in essence, he's the one who's chasing a carrot that's stuck to the top of the stick or that's stuck on a string on a, you know, that he's, he's running, running out like a hamster in a, in, in a circle. So the wealth is, is, uh, you know, let's look about the wealthiest person of all times. Uh, Shlomo Amalek, King Solomon, the smartest man, had all the wealth. He, you know, he ruled the world, you know, per se. And it says in Kohelet, chapter twenty-three, verse twenty-three. He says, you know, one, one good advice from the smartest guy in the entire world that was ever created until the time of Mashiach. And you want to know the, you know, the, from one of the wealthiest men in the entire world. He says a piece of advice. He writes in Kohelet. He says you want to know what's the end of everybody. The end of everybody is all you got to do is fear God. Simple. Very simple advice. Fear God. Do the mitzvahs. That's the end of all the men. We're all going to six feet, the same place at, after 120. And the money, nothing is going to help you except for those two things. You fear God and you do good, you do the mitzvah. This is why Rabbeinu B'chai, um, he says in Chobot Al-Vavot, he says that, uh, you know, wealth brings many issues to people. Uh, not issues in a sense in the physical world, because they, they can buy anything, but in the spiritual world. It, it becomes the, 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 you know, people, um, you know, think that everything belongs to them, everything goes to them. If you ever realize that it's, it's more, and it's not, it's not a, a automatic statement, because there are many very wealthy people that are very religious. But as a generalize, if we may generalize, we should not generalize, but if we may just generalize for a minute, you look at generally the more, the more wealthier they are, the less religious that they are. It's, again, it's not across the board because there's many, you know, when I say generalize, I'll say 60% to be nice, but even though I think it's more than that. But at the same point in time, you have the wealthy people that are not so close to God because they don't feel they need God. But the people who don't have it feel like they really need, they really need God because they need it for more. So you have, um, um, this is why you have, you know, people that, you know, the value system is so twisted is that they go and they tell their children, this is, this is a very, you know, uh, um, you know, what do parents tell their children? You know, you gotta get a degree. The, the main focus is what are you going to do for a panasa? What are you going to do for a living? Do you want to survive? That is the main... It, by the way, whatever you're telling your kids and you put the most focus on, that's what they think is the most important. So you're telling the kids, oh, you got to get a degree, you're not going to get married before you get a degree, yada, yada, yada. Everything is about the degree and the, the business and this and yada, yada, yada. All you're showing your kids is the most important thing is the degree. This is why we're making... We'll, we'll, um, um, we'll finish almost with two more thoughts. So the, one of the blessings that we give our children is the simcha alokim ke menashe. First, the obvious question is, is Menashe was older than Ephraim. And we know the same, you know, the story with the switching of the hands. So, one of the reasons why we say first Ephraim and then Menashe, because Ephraim was generally the one that was always learning Torah. He was with Yaakov Avinu. Menashe was one who was running Yosef, by the way, they were Yosef kids. Yosef had, had two kids, one Ephraim, one Menashe. Ephraim was learning Torah, Menashe was the one who was managing the whole country with, uh, with, with Yosef. And Ephraim was with Yaakov Avinu learning Torah. We say, we first put the younger before the older. You want to know why we're doing it? One of the reasons is because the focus that you should be when you're blessing your kids is what comes first. You have the physical world and you have the spiritual world. The physical 
the kid who was with the physical spiritual uh, was uh, was Menashe, who was dealing with the physical world. He was successful in, in the physical world. But we first put a Faim, who was always learning Torah. Because when you're giving over to your kids, the first thing that you have to give over is you're going to be a big Tabi Chacham. You're going to be a big Tzadika, whatever it is, a boy or a girl. You're focusing, you're giving over what is the most important thing. You're, if you're constantly telling them, oh, you're going to be a doctor, a lawyer, you're going to be running my business afterwards, again and again and again, in the kid's mind, that is the most important thing to do. Nothing else matters. Only the thing that matters is exactly what you're telling me all the time over and over and over and over again. And the problem is this is where the generation is. The generation is the parents are constantly telling the kids only about, only about money. What do parents talk about? You heard about the new house that they just bought? You know the extension that our neighbors just did? And with the Lexus also, you gotta be kidding me. I know what he's making. You know, all they talk about is just money. Money, 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 money. So what do the kids talk about? Money, 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 money. And it's all like, it's just dollar signs everywhere. That's all they see. So, um, the, and this is also leads us to the next thing is that, you know, uh, there, there was, a, there's, a, I think the terminology is keeping up with the Jones or the Jonesons or whatever. Jones. Joneses? Joneses. Keeping up with the Joneses. If somebody's, you know, we're not never satisfied with what we have because then somebody else has something more. This is why I'm very, I, I like these, you know, these communities that every house is exactly the same. Let it be nice, big, beautiful mansions. It's great. But they're all more, you know, more or less exactly the same. So no one has to like overdo anybody else because it's a very big problem nowadays is that everybody always has to outdo the person that, that's next to them. So the, um, and this is the, this is, uh, you know, the same idea where, you know, the, the, the entire focus is just this world. The, I, the last thing that I want to just speak about before we end for tonight is the the idea that rich rich and all these these things they bring arrogance they bring pride and one of the main focus which is which is really a whole a whole topic in itself is where is the fear nowadays there's no you know people that speak about fear of God get looked down upon it's not well, what are you speaking about fear it's all it's about love and this it's not our it's not our mentality I've spoken to, uh, in places where like listen speak a little bit nice you know nicer it's a you know it's a, it's a, you know we like it more out of fear we like it sorry we like it more out of love whatever yeah you nod and smile though you do whatever so uh, um, but at the end of the day the, the Torah says you have to fear you have to fear God where's the fear going to come from it's not going to come from everybody coochie coochie cooing everybody else you know tickling you and then it's like oh it become Jewish yeah, it's so nice and beautiful it is beautiful it's amazing but if you don't do it there's a big there's a big punishment that's waiting for you on the other side the, it has to be the both the you know it, it, there's a flip side to everything so um, and, and, and the idea is, fear is needed. You need it. What are you gonna, there's consequences to every action they do. If there's no fear, people are gonna commit adultery and murder and stealing and yada yada yada. Granted, those are, those are far things. But at the same time, you look at even less. People are just, you know, sending, why? Because there's no fear. People are not, are not, uh, you know, there's no fear of God. Okay. Any questions thus far on this topic? Yes. In the beginning, you said good deeds and Torah. Mm-hmm. Um, for the good deeds, does it have to be just for good deeds towards Jews or non-Jews? Good deeds is good deeds for regardless. First of all, uh, the the focus your focus always should be for for the first focus should be juice. But that doesn't mean that if somebody um, if somebody is is uh, um, you know going and and uh, you know non Jewish guys asking for charity, be like, are you Jewish? Are you circumcised? Let me see. You know, you know, you don't, you know, you don't don't start give a dollar. You know, it's also good deeds. But if let's say it's let's say uh, you know this is a good example. Let's say you want you you have myself and you want to give you know. A thousand dollars, ten thousand dollars, whatever. You want to give a large amount, even a hundred dollars. You want to give a hundred dollars to myself. Don't send it to Red Cross. You know, send it to people that need your. You know, there's there's people that are starving that are your Jewish brothers and sisters that are starving. Those are the ones you need to. Besides the fact that Red Cross, I think you get only like ninety six percent of like your money goes into into like the uh, only like four dollars out of a hundred dollars actually go into like their cause. Everything else goes to the pockets of everybody. You know, who's who's uh, building on that. So it's good deeds for everybody, but the main focus should also be 
Obviously, it's a kiddush Hashem. You're doing good deed for a non, for somebody who's uh, not Jewish. So that's that's an even a, a bigger thing. But the main focus always think about it this way: you first help your family, then your cousins, then you know, then your friends, and then the same idea. Good. Okay, Hazakubahu. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.